These are a few. I'm just kidding. I'm not, <laughs> not going to sing today. Some of you are like, that was my favorite thing I've heard all Sunday morning. So uh, you're welcome. Uh, if you're like, hey, I'm a first-time guest. I don't get it. It sounded like you were going the right direction. Uh, ask anybody who's heard me sing before. They'd be like, it's going to go south really quick. You can get like two words out, and it's like, and so we won't do that to you this morning. Uh, I do have a lot of favorite things. I do like to sing. I, I like only one musical, Don't Take My Man Card, that's the only one I can really dig, uh, that is my favorite. I do like a couple of songs from the song, uh, movie. Uh, I have a lot of favorite things though, and I want to I let you know, it is okay to have some favorite things, it is okay to have some favorite places, absolutely 100%, as long as they don't take priority over God, and I just want to share a couple of my favorite things with y'all this morning. Uh, all of you I'm sure in this room have favorite things. Uh, matter of fact, how many of you have a favorite snack? Like right now, if I was like, I got any snack you want for you, you, you got that snack. Raise your hand if you got one for me. I'm just going to call a couple of you out and just go. Like, what's your favorite snack? Christmas tree cakes. All right, tell me what else we got going on. Uh, another person, hands up. Favorite snack, got a favorite snack. Who's willing to share it with me? Favorite snack? Snickers, I'm talking about. Dude, side note, everybody's got to listen to this. If you like coffee creamers, they now have a Snickers coffee cream. Can I get amen? Right. Is that your new favorite thing? All right, and one more, one more favorite thing, favorite snack. You're like, I love this. There's got to be one. Come on. Huh? Coffee? Yeah, oh, that's always good. Evening, morning, whatever. There's a bunch of favorite things. Uh, I do have my favorite snack. Uh, somebody was trying to sneak it up on me. Uh, this is Christmas tree cakes. You're like, dude, how do you still have these? Because I'm smart. Uh, as soon as uh, Christmas ends, I go immediately on uh, the 26th of December, and I go to the first bilo I can get to, and I wipe out the rest of their shelves. I'm good to go to like mid-July, then I've got to wait again. Uh, a matter of fact, these are one of my favorite things, and they are so important to me, I don't typically give these out, but is there anybody outside of up front here? <laughs> you, here, here you go, man. You did say the Christmas tree cake. Are they legit one of your favorite things? They are good, but are they one of your favorite things? Okay, I'll give you that one. There's one of yours, man. You can have that one today. Sorry. Go ahead and grab it. All right. Those are one of my absolute favorite things. If you know anything about me, like on social media, I can tell you the day they come out. Y'all ready? I don't know if I should tell you that because you might go try to grab them from me. But here we go. Right after Halloween, like the day after, November the 1st, you can go to any bilo and you're going to find these things. Now, if I go to a bilo and I can't find these things locally, I'm coming for all of you. So, and I'm knocking on your door until you let me in and give me a cake. All right, so that's one of my favorite things. I have a lot of other favorite things, too. I really love these. These are the extra dark chocolate truffles. Uh, absolutely amazing. Like, if you get done with any type of food afterwards, you eat one of these, you're good to go. It's like dessert. It is awesome and amazing. Uh, you can tell I like a lot of favorite things as far as food goes. Uh, this is cranberry Sprite. If you've had regular Sprite and not enjoyed cranberry Sprite, you're really missing out in life. Highly recommend this. This is also one of my what kind of things? Favorite things, yes. Uh, I have a uh, K-cup thing going on, and Javalia makes the best K-cups. I'm just saying they're not on sale often, but they're absolutely amazing. Uh, love them. They're awesome. That's some of my favorite things. I have a lot of favorite things. If you were to say, hey, Dwayne, what is your favorite pizza? I'm going to Capri's Pizzeria of Berea. It is a little hole-in-the-wall pizza place. I live in Malden. I'm known to drive all the way from Malden if I've got a hungry and to go to Berea, my hometown, just to have one of those and drive all the way back to Malden and eat it, a lot of it. So I love it. If you were to say, hey, Dwayne, what is your 
favorite chicken place. Well, it's not here yet, but it is on its way, praise the Lord. We got Popeye's chicken coming to Greer, so that's some good news. I live in Malden. I will also be traveling all the way to Greer, even when I don't have to come over here for church or anything related to church, because I'm going to worship the Lord through eating chicken. So, I'm going to, that's one of my favorite things. I have a lot of favorite things. I have a lot of favorite places, too. I love Disney World, which also contains one of my favorite things. It has nothing to do with Mickey or Rides. Give me the Dole Whip float. I'm good to go. I went to Disney World. So, all right, I have favorite places also. I like to go fishing, trout fishing on the stream and, and the spring is awesome. I don't get to do that very often. I haven't done it in many years, actually. But it is one of my favorite places to go. I love going to beach. That's one of my favorite places. And I don't have to go into a hotel room. Just stick me in the ocean with a bodyboard for hours at a time and no sharks show up. I'm good to go. One of my favorite things to do. Love it. We all have favorite things, favorite places, and that is absolutely okay. As long as they don't take priority over your relationship with God. You can have your favorite things and favorite places. But one thing that the Bible really doesn't leave a whole lot of room for is having favorite people. He allows favorite things. He allows favorite places. He really doesn't leave room for you having your favorite people. And that's what we're going to kind of dive into as we continue this series in the book of James. We go from James chapter 1 to James chapter 2, and there's a transition verse we'll kind of look at in a few minutes, but I want to kind of just set the basics of it. The idea of the problem with favoritism when it comes to people, and that's going to be the first point. It's up on your screen. It's on your sheet, too. You can fill in a blank. But it's this. I want you to see this about playing favorites with people. Playing favorites among people puts us in the position of God giving value to people based off their appearance while ignoring their heart. When we play favoritism, we put ourselves in the position of God, judging people or looking at people and basing what we feel about them off their appearances while completely ignoring their heart. And can I tell you something this morning? We make really bad and terrible gods. We're terrible at the whole thing because we are so quick to look at the appearance of a situation while completely ignoring the heart, and that's not what God does at all. A matter of fact, I'm quick to do that. I'll give you an example of that. When I go to the grocery store, and a lot of people love using the grocery store example, specifically Walmart would be a great example of that, and I go there and I look, and if there's a 10 item or less, or it looks like it should be a quick checkout, and I look at somebody and they got a huge buggy full of stuff, you know what, I look at their appearance and I assume that they're an idiot or they just can't count or, or they're just rude, right? Y'all ever get that feeling? Raise your hand, you know you felt that way at some point in time. So, I look at them and I automatically assume off of appearance. But you want to know what I do? I judge them off their appearance. I have no idea what's going on in their heart. I have no idea what's going on in their life. Maybe the fact was that they've got a sick infant at home who, who is not doing well. Or maybe they got a, an adult at home that's really sick. Maybe has cancer. And they have a very limited time to go out to Walmart to get the stuff that they need. And it's already bad enough. And it just happened to be that they opened that one register at that moment. And they're like, I, I don't want to be that person, but I need to get home quickly. So in their heart, they're just thinking about their loved ones. And they get into that line. And they're just trying to get out of there as quick as possible. And I'm just like, dude, i got to go home and watch a basketball game. Why are they in that line? So I'm judging off appearance, and I care nothing about their heart. That shouldn't be. A matter of fact, the Bible teaches in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does, everybody say that with me, not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So we get so caught up and we pick our favorites based on the way they appear or what they seem to be doing for us or their benefit or, or lack of benefit, and we, we judge them on appearances. But God is looking at the heart. See, we make really bad gods because we look at appearance, but the God of the universe always looks at the heart. 
That's what we need to focus on. Let's dive into James, because James hits this whole thing of favoritism, and we're going to break down some, several different verses, but I just figure we should read the whole thing to start with. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. They are not the ones who are dragging you into court. Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him who you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Verse 11, for he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are being judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Can I just get straight to the point of what James is saying? Straight to it. There's two verses that point directly to it. And it is this idea. is our next point. Favoritism is a sin that should never be welcomed in the church. Favoritism is a sin that should never be welcomed in the church. See, a lot of times we get this idea that sins have different levels. Like, and some of you are saying, like, like is James uh, comparing murder and adultery to favoritism? That sounds insane. That doesn't even connect. Let's look at what James says again in James 2.1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. It's an absolute. Don't do it. Don't let it in the doors of the church. Don't let it in the door of your heart. Favoritism is completely 100% unacceptable in people. Does God mind you having favorite things? No. Does God mind you having favorite places? No. As long as they don't get in a relationship with God or in the way of that relationship with God. But God never, ever leaves room for you to have favorite people. Absolutely not. Favorite things, favorite places. Okay, as long as I don't interrupt your relationship with God. Favorite people? No, it's unacceptable. And some might say, hey, well, that's not the same as murder. Murder really hurts people, and it, it destroys families, and it does those type of things. Adultery, I can understand. Adultery, that really messes up families and hurts people, and, and it has a huge effect. But so does favoritism. You want to know how I know that? I've had people treat me as less than their favorite, and it hurt. It's not a killer of me physically, but it killed my soul for a few minutes at least. I felt dead inside because I was completely ignored. Ask anybody. Has anybody in this room ever felt less than somebody else because everybody's attention went to that person and they ignored you? Anybody ever been there? I think most of us in this room. And I want to tell you this. It hurt. All sin hurts. James breaks it down so beautifully in verses 9 through 12. 
But if you show favoritism, you sin. And you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. See, I want you to understand this thing about sin. Sin's like this. We're holding on to what God's got in, in this linked chain. And like we're holding on to it, and each link of the chain are, are one of those commandments. Get that visual for me. And each one of those links are individual. There's the link of adultery. There's the link of murder. There's the link of honor in your mother and your father. There's the link of coveting. There's all these different links, and they're holding you on. They're, they're keeping you above ground from hitting it. And all of a sudden, here's what I want you to understand. If one of those links break, then you're going to hit the ground, right? One link gone, you're down. And that's what James is kind of saying. Like, they're all connected. All of these different sins have different things. And how are they connected? Because sin hurts you and sin hurts others. It doesn't matter if it's murder or if it's favoritism. God doesn't want people to be hurt. He wants them to be healed and to be made whole. But if the link of the chain breaks a murder, you fall. If the link of adultery hits, you fall. If the link of favoritism snaps, you fall. You're hurt and others are hurt. How might you be hurt by favoritism? All of a sudden, someone who wanted to share their life story with you that you could have encouraged, all of a sudden won't talk to you because you seem to ignore them. And you cheat yourself of a blessing. So we need to understand this. And and James kind of breaks it down. We almost got to go back to James chapter 1, the very last verse of that, to kind of get a a full glimpse or a full understanding of of this whole idea of the problem with favoritism. See, a lot of people give hard knocks to the book of James. Sometimes they say it's like like the most works-oriented scripture in the Bible is found in James. And I would absolutely 100% disagree with that, and I'm going to show you why. It's all about God and all about us and about relationship. Because he even describes that when he says something about religion is this. James 1.27. Religion that God our Father. And if you're a circular, you want to go back and circle that later. I would recommend you do that. That God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Did y'all catch that? Christianity and its belief system is this. It is about relationship. It is about relationship with God our Father and everybody else. It is not a relationship of work that you got to get connection with God through doing perfect or whatever. God just wants you to live for him, to connect with him vertically and with others horizontally. That is what the pure faith of Christianity is because it is not just something of a label of Christian. It is a walk of a disciple. That is what we're called to do. See, we can go back and we can see how how messed up things can be and how people can get hurt by it. Just ask some people that have been hurt by favoritism. You can go, you can ask the person who got discriminated due to their age. They felt like you were too old to be paid attention to or too young to be paid attention to. Maybe it was because of their skin color. They didn't feel like they could talk with you or connect with you. Or or maybe it was because of your your sex. Or maybe it was because of your political affiliation. Or maybe it was because of your finances, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, that people won't connect with you and they show favoritism. And I want to emphasize something I think culturally may be a little bit different today. Because I think sometimes it can be poor people all gravitate to the poor people and they talk bad about the rich people just as much as all the rich people gravitate to all the rich people and talk about the poor people. 
We live in that culture today. Everybody's at everybody politically. All the political people who believe this one thing go over here and they hang out and they talk bad about these people. And these people over here hang out together and they talk bad about these people because these are your favorites and these are your not-so-favorites. And these are your favorites and these are your not-so-favorites. That is the culture we live in today. And God's Word would say there should be none of that. It is polluting the church. It is polluting your heart because that's what James says right there at the end. Look at that again. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world the church and the people that are in the church should be different than the people in the world but I want to show you a video real quick of the way the world acts and I want you to ask yourself is that the way the church should act today I'm going to dress like a homeless guy and try to go in and eat at a fancy restaurant let's see how they treat me sorry sir can I eat here no 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 can I check the menu no I have some money. Yeah, no problem. Can I eat here? You know what? I don't think you can do it. Oh, I can't? No. Oh, so Especially I'll... the owner of the kid is going to complain. So. so the owner doesn't? No. I'm sorry. Okay. Can I see the menu? Menu? Yeah. You have means of paying for the menu? Yeah, I have some money. Okay. Can I can I come sit inside and food? No, my... not inside. No, no. Sorry. I can't. You be... No, you can't. Sorry. Oh, I can't sit inside. No, you can't. Oh, cheaper man. for you upstairs. There's a pizza. It's a whole lot cheaper than this. Thank you, sir. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, can I just check some menu real quick? I don't know what you guys have here. Okay. Is it okay if I can eat here? Sure. But uh, can I see a menu real quick? And right. stuff? Do you guys have anything like really nice in here? Seafood. Like a lobster, like a shrimp, plant, mussels, or something like that? So I, I can go inside and eat it. It's cool, yeah. right? Yeah. I was here a couple, not, not too long ago. Do you remember me? What happened? You remember me? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, because actually I, I didn't have to pick have to pick up my car to pick up my clothes. Okay. But now like you guys can serve me now, like, it's kind of like, I don't get it. Like you, ju you guys maybe shouldn't judge people by the way we look. No, no, that's because you're perfect. No I'm perfect now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you know what? I'm not really that hungry anymore because the way you treat people makes me sick. Okay. All right, man. What's up, guys? Kobe from Model Pranksters. Today I'm here with Danny Barbosa. Should appearance matter when helping an injured person? Today we're going to put that to the test. Oh. oh, oh, thank you, thank you, sir. Oh. You okay? Yeah, yeah. Can you help him up? Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. You okay, sir? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Oh, thank you. Oh man, just right over that sidewalk. Right. Oh. oh! Yeah, thank you, thank you. Oh. oh, thank you, I appreciate that.
today we were outside for almost two hours. And the sad truth about it all, I can tell you right now, I felt invisible. People heard me fall, people have saw me fall, and still they would just stare at me and made me feel less of a human. It's sad that people rather help a man who seemed to have it all than to help a man that has nothing at all. And the crazy thing about this whole social experiment was that the only person that helped me out when I fell was another homeless man. This is something that a lot of you guys should think about. So what is the character of us if we say we're followers of Christ? We're his disciples. What is our character? Are we people of favoritism who look at a certain circumstance and we ignore it because it doesn't connect with us at the moment or it may cost us or make things difficult? There's one other story I want to kind of tie in with that, and it's, it's the story I, I, I kind of stumbled on going into this whole thing about how it's a sin in the church and should never be welcomed in, and, and we should never show favoritism. It's the story of Gandhi. So Some of y'all are familiar with Gandhi, and he was a famous political leader in India and had a real big impact on, on the world and the way people saw people. But the unfortunate thing was about Gandhi is that uh, there, were, there was an opportunity for him to come to know Christ and have an influence, not just that he was a good man, but he was a person who, who pointed people to Christ. But there was a problem when he encountered people in the church. Often Gandhi would say this, if it weren't for Christians, I would be a Christian. It's a powerful, powerful thing. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote that during his student days, he read the gospel seriously and considered converting to Christianity. He believed in the teachings of Jesus that he could find the solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of India. And just to kind of give you a glimpse of the caste system, it's basically you were born into a certain family and that certain family enabled you to have certain jobs and certain things. And if you weren't born into those uh, groups of privilege, then you didn't get any of the privileges of those. And there was no crossing lines. You couldn't marry into a family. You were born in that and you were stuck in that. And Gandhi was a person who was searching for hope. There had to be a different way. And he began to study Jesus, and he said, this is the different way. This is the difference. And I want to tell you something about Gandhi. He was a Hindu, and he did not follow the way, the truth, and the life. Was he a good person? Uh, you could maybe say that. But he did not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was never, and never became a believer. He was never one. And this is the, the problem that happened. It says, when he entered the saint, as he went to... He decided on a Sunday morning to attend services in a nearby church and to talk to a minister about the desire he had to become a Christian himself. When he entered the sanctuary, however, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go worship with his own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. If Christians had a caste difference also, then he might as well remain a Hindu, he thought to himself. That usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but also turned a person away from trusting him as Savior. You know what the biggest sin of the church sometimes is? That we don't live for Jesus the way we're called to. And we don't bring people into the relationship with Jesus. We push them away. Now, some of that's on the people because they shouldn't look at us. But they do look at us. And we're supposed to be offering hope. But instead, we offer favoritism. Can I help you or benefit you? 
With that in mind, we need to move past that. We need to realize, yes, it is absolutely a sin and it absolutely does damage. And then we need to realize what kind of harm it does and then we need to figure out what we do with it. And that's what I want to look at next. I want you to understand the sin of favoritism invades our lives the moment we lose sight of His glory and His favor towards us. We get the favoritism into our heart and it's sinful and it's destructive and we will be judged by God for it. And the truth is, the reason why that happens is because we lose sight of his glory and his favor towards us. In James 2, 1 through 5, it kind of breaks that down, and we'll just start off. My brothers and sisters who are what? Believers. Y'all need to say it again. My brothers and sisters who are believers in our glorious Lord. If you are believers in who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that he was there in creation, that he died on a cross for your sins, that he was raised on the third day, if you are believers of that, and you are caught up in it, and you are captivated by that, and you are drawn into that, then you're supposed to be different. You don't see people in their differences. You see two things. You see God and you see us. There's only two things. There's God and then there's us. And we are all on equal level. There's God, and then there's us. Are you captivated by His glory? Are you called up in Him? My question to you is, and I want you to be honest with yourself in asking this, because I would guarantee you this would happen. We could be in the middle of my teaching, or we could be in the middle of an incredible worship service and time at the beginning of the service. If your favorite famous person walked up into this sanctuary, and you just kind of opened your eyes, and you saw them walk straight up and sit over there on the side, and all of a sudden you might be worshiping God, you might keep your hands up, but I'm going to tell you, you're not going to be caught up in the presence of Jesus. You may end up getting caught up in the presence of them, and you're like this. And then you might as well just turn and do this to them and start worshiping them. Because that's what happens to us sometimes. We get caught up in our favorite things and our favorite people. And we lose sight of God and forget that there is God and then there is us. And we are all on equal level. No matter how famous, popular, rich, what a color skin you have or anything else. There is God and then there is what? Us. That's what we need to understand. We need to be caught up into his glory. If we say we are believers, we should be caught up into his glory. The believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man walks into your meeting wearing a gold ring or fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand there, you can sit by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And another version says, with evil motives. What's your desire? Do you see that person come in and you think, oh, I want a picture with them. I want to be beside them. I want to hang out with them. What can they do for me? They'll get me some likes on my social media. I can tell my friends I got to meet them. The problem is you're not seeing God and then us. (laughs) We are supposed to be people that are captivated by God. And then we see other people. That is the pure faith of following Jesus Christ. Captivated by God and vertically wanting relationships with everybody. We need to understand that. And then it goes, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chose those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom and promises of those who love Him? See, I want to take us back to get a better understanding of God and then us. And I think we could find that in Genesis, the, the beginning, the story of us all. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1, 27 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
male and female. He created them. There is God the creator, and then there is us. Do you understand that? We are created in his image, shine down on us. And in Genesis chapter, excuse me, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says this. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. But then we, we turn and we get a little bit more in depth on like how God formed us all together. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Everyone in you, of you in this room, including myself, you want to know where we got our start from? The dust. <laughs> In some translations it says dirt, some it says clay. But we are all, whether you say clay, dirt, or dust, we are pretty low forms right here that God got hold of and breathed life into each and every one of us. So we can't get prideful and say I'm better than this person or better than that person depending upon their skin color or anything else. We need to say there is God and then there is us. I am formed from the dust and we need to be humble about that in the realization of who we are because we got nothing without God. We don't have the breath of life without God. We don't have redemption without God. We don't have a purpose without God. We are nothing but dust until God gets hold of it. That is the perspective we as believers are supposed to have. In, in the song that we sang earlier, it says, Remember who God is and who I am. That is the biggest challenge in the church, is to remember who God is and who we are. That will change the perspective of the way the people see the church, the way we live our lives. There's God, and then there's us. He breathes life into us, gives us purpose. And then it talks about how we all fell in, in Romans 3.23. We were created good and very good in the image of God. And then it says in Romans 3.23, for all. How many is that? All. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory, each and every one of us. Once again, we don't have life without God breathing it in. We don't have eternal life and the newness of life and resurrection without God doing it. And I love these verses in uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 8 that kind of bring that to point. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. You could say you were polluted by it. Obeying the devil and the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Another time it says all of us. There's God and then there's what? Us. Used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Like favoritism. By our very nature we were subjects of God's anger. For favoritism. Just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave life to us when he raised Christ from the dead. We are nothing but dust without God. And he breathes life into us. We are nothing but fallen sinners without hope, without God. Then he resurrects us from our dead and trespasses and sins. And it's by grace you have been saved 
For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. I love verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. God saved you so he can point to you and say, hey, this is what I want to do in your life. And when you're playing favorites, he can't do that. You're cheating God of what he wants to do with your life and you're cheating yourselves of the blessings of doing it. Be a person that says, God, I realize you're rich in grace towards me. I'm nothing but dust. I'm nothing but a sinner. But you created me and you saved me for a purpose. And it is to point all generations to you. Whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they're young, whether they're old, whether they have a certain skin tone, whether they're a certain sex, whatever they are, my goal is to point people to you, Jesus. That is our purpose. Our understanding. So now we got to understand favoritism is a sin. We realize where it comes from. It comes from a heart where we get lost and, and forget about the glory of God and his favor towards us. See, we're, God doesn't play favorites, but he does give favor. And we are supposed to people, be people that give favor to others. And that's where I want to close at is this. Last point. Favoritism ends, the sin of it ends, when under the power of Christ we show love and mercy towards others. It's that simple you got to get out your box, and you got to show love and mercy towards others. If you know sin's in your heart and the favoritism thing's going on inside of you, you got to put an end to it, and you got to show love and mercy towards others. Can I be honest with you? I'm a sinner. I show favoritism all the time. And going through this message, it's very convicting. I show favoritism all the time. And if I've showed favoritism and paid attention to somebody else and ignored you, I want to say from my heart, I repent of that and ask for forgiveness from, from the stage. And I think that's what God would have all of us do. So we got our favorite people we like to go hang out with because we got a lot of things in common. But maybe we're missing being the influence of Christ on someone else because we're so caught up in the favorites of our life. See, it's okay to have favorite things. It's okay to have favorite places as long as they don't interfere in a relationship with God. But favorite people always interferes with your relationship with God 100% of the time. James 2.8 says this, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, if you really keep it, the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. 1 Peter 2.19, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you see what we're supposed to be? Do you see what we are sometimes? We're sinners who get caught up in ourselves and others and what they can do for us when we're supposed to be called up in God because there's God and then there's us. And those people that aren't part of that... <laughs> We're supposed to be calling to join us. And we have a special privilege ourselves because God has shown us favor. We've been invited into his kingdom. We are the princes and princesses of his kingdom. We are inheritors of his grace. He has been rich towards us. And he wants to use us to welcome others in to be rich towards them. We are supposed to be people that are called up in him who show his love and his mercy towards others. We are royalty, and we need to live like royalty, but not a royalty that's separate like the world does, the polluted way, but a royalty that offers others to come into the kingdom, to be part of it. That's quite the offer. Imagine if that person saw Gandhi walk up to the door, and Gandhi died believing in a false religion because the true religion 
the one that Jesus called to in a relationship with himself and others, someone denied Gandhi that day. In closing, Jesus kind of gives us a breakdown. And I want to set it up. We're not going to read the whole verse. We're going to catch up one particular part. Basically, a leader, a Pharisee, comes to Jesus and says, Hey, what is this whole thing? How do I inherit eternal life? What do I do to be saved and right with God? And God says, What do you think? And he says, I love God uh, with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, and I should love my neighbor as myself. Jesus said, You've done right. And then the man, being clever, is like, Hey, uh, who's my neighbor? And I love how Jesus approaches things. He doesn't just say everybody around you and walk away, <laughs> which was probably what I would want to do. Jesus points out and he says, I'm going to tell you who your neighbor is, and I'm also going to give you how you treat your neighbor. I'm going to, like, bonus give you some information here. And this is kind of what happens. And we're going to jump down to uh, verse 28. Jesus said, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, a priest, or you could say a pastor or a leader in the church, happened to be going by on the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, or a youth pastor, or music leader, or whatever you want to call them, leader in the church, when they came by and they saw him, they passed by on the other side also. But a Samaritan, who you could say maybe was supposed to ignore the guy to begin with, as he traveled, he came to man where the man was, and he saw him. Did you notice that other people saw him too? But it says that this guy really saw him. You know what we do sometimes? We get a hundred foot stare or whatever, and we're just like, there's needs all around us, but I'm going to keep focused ahead. Does that look a little like that video? Man falls. I got to keep looking straight. <laughs> I don't want this to distract me. They see him, but they don't see him. Do you all get the difference? They see him, but they don't see him. The Samaritan sees the man. He took pity. It does something in his heart. See, the homeless man saw the man fall, and it did something in his heart. And he got up and he helped the man. As he traveled, he came to where man saw him. He took pity on him, and he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, giving up his stuff, pouring oil on him, and then he put the man on his donkey. I don't know if you got a man beaten and bloodied and dying. You know what you got to do to get that man in your vehicle or on your vehicle? You got to get messy. We as a church and a group of believers, we, we favorite those who are kind of clean. But God's like, you're supposed to love those who are messy too. Invest. And then it goes on in this. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him the next day, two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, and said, until I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. See, the church isn't just a short term. Oh, I'm not going to play favorites today, so I'm going to go shake a few hands. But next week, I'm going back to normal. Our walk with God is supposed to be something we start and keep walking out. And Jesus kind of points to that. We have an understanding through Jesus who our neighbor is. is everybody around you, even the broken and the hurting. This is how you treat them. You see them. You pour yourself and whatever you got out into them. You're willing to get messy and you do it long term. This is the way Jesus approaches that. In close, there's James chapter 2 verse 13. Y'all remember those last verses that it said? It's this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We're supposed to be people of mercy, of God's grace, of his goodness. See, a minute ago I said, forgive me if I've shown favoritism towards you. 
And I'll be honest with you, I'm still going to struggle with it. Some of you this morning may realize that you've been showing the sin of favoritism and you realize in your heart you need to correct that and God will help you and lead you. The thing is, when he tells you to go speak to somebody and, and, and interact with somebody you may not be comfortable with or used to, you need to do it. And the more you do it, the more you'll become used to walking in the presence and the spirit of the living God. But there'll be times that you struggle and you don't do it. His mercy's enough. Correct it. Do the right thing. But I want you to understand, I apologize for any time I've shown favorites and stuff. But I also want you to realize sometimes you may be the person on the other side of that. And I may be hanging out with you and talking. And then I, I see somebody walk into the door. And I look over there and I see them. And I say, excuse me, i got to go over here. Because I have one of, my, one of my really good friends now, really close. And he was a deacon in the church. And he quite frankly told me he didn't like me at one point in time. And he's like, when you first arrived here at youth, with these students, and he helped me with the youth group too, he said, when you first got here, I really didn't like you, Dwayne. I thought you were rude. He said, we would be sitting here talking, and I felt like I'm a deacon. You should pay attention to me, and I need to be kind of the center of your attention. And he said, a new kid walking that door, you'd be like, man, I'll talk to you in a minute, and you'd go away. I'd never see you again. The rest of the night, I'd be like, this punk is supposed to be paying attention to me. And he, yeah, he's running over to every new kid that walks in the door. But through time, he said, I realize this about you, Dwayne. You weren't being mean to me. Your heart was to love those kids. Your heart was to point them to Jesus. And you know what? We both go to different churches now. But he is still serving in student ministry. And he says the reason he does it is because he's realized in his life that he is supposed to go reach those other people. And he wants to reach those kids that first walk into the door. Man, what if we are a church? It doesn't play favorites. It's okay to have your people you hang out with and invest in and encourage. But don't close it off. Keep it open as Jesus has kept his invitation to his kingdom open. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we come before you in the great and mighty name of Jesus. We are thankful for your great love and mercy shown towards us. That you call us out of our sins, whether it be murder, adultery, favoritism, whatever it is, and into a new way of life. A way that honors you and points people to you as, as uh, people who understand there is you and then there is us. People who understand that, Lord, we are nothing without you breathing life into us. We are fallen sinners and hopeless. Eternity headed towards hell without your intervention, Jesus, in our life. But you have been rich in mercy towards us. Help us to be people that don't live in favoritism but live in favor of other people and thinking of them. Lord, we love you and we are thankful for this morning to be challenged by your word. Lord, I pray if there's someone in here who doesn't know what it is to even have a relationship with you, that, Lord, they will talk to somebody before they leave here and understand that they have been called into a kingdom where they can become royalty that has an impact that is eternal because of the grace that you showed us on the cross. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.